Absolutely. Hello, hello, everyone. I am Joanne Male, and welcome to the How to Support Mental Health in Sales Masterclass brought to you by Salesforce and the Harris Consulting Group. Before we jump into any introductions, I wanted to take care of a few housekeeping issues. We wanted to let you guys know that we will be recording this session and it will be available afterwards in case you need to jump off soon or feel like you have a colleague that might need to hear a few things that we discussed today. We are posting in the chat right now a document we'll use for folks to take notes on their takeaways. And it's more than just notes. It's to help keep yourself accountable. And as you know, we love our masterclasses to be interactive. So with this in mind, we ask two things. Feel free to go to the chat feature and introduce yourself, name, title, company, location, and the size of your sales team. And we also want to hear from you. Our panelists want to hear from you. So please ask questions as we go through the masterclass and we'll either ask them in the moment or hold them for the end. So without further ado, these are some of our top sales influencers who have such great thought leadership around mental health and sales. And I feel like they'd be the best at introducing themselves. So we'll go ahead and play a bit of popcorn and start off with Lindsay Boggs. Hi everyone, I'm Lindsay Boggs. Uh, I am the Global Director of Sales Development at Quantumetric. I'm also a co-founder of a nonprofit called Uncrushed.org, which we focus on mental health awareness. And I'm really, really happy to be here. Um, this topic is near and dear to my heart and um, very timely, I believe. So very happy to be here. Absolutely. And we're gonna go off to Marcus Chan. All right, Joanne, thank you so much. What's up, everybody? Great to be here. So Marcus Shan, founder of Bentley Consulting Group, in which we help B2B sales pros earn an additional $50,000 to $100,000 more every single year. Uh, before us, I was in corporate America for over 14 years, from doing B2B sales to leading really, really big teams. And this is a topic that's super important to me because I'm early on, some of the struggles I had, learning how to deal with it, but then not just as a, a rep, but also as a leader and leader of leaders, uh, I've seen the impact when we don't tackle it head on and when we're not, when we're not proactive. So excited to be here, excited to talk and talk in more detail with my colleagues here. So thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on, Marcus. And he's also a returning as well as Lindsay. And that means we can go ahead and kick it off to another returning member of the Top Sales Influencer Crew, Naraj Kapoor. Hi, everybody. I'm Nairaj. Greetings from Ireland. Uh, I'm a LinkedIn top voice and a mindset coach and sales trainer. Uh, and I'm here because in 2019 and 2020, um, I went through a very painful divorce and then my business disappeared in lockdown. So I suffered tremendous mental health challenges. And in 2021, I rebuilt my business and I rebuilt my life. I'm living my best life ever. And I'm really here to share insights, knowledge and things that I did that will help you go through the journey yourselves. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Naraj. And we're going to kick it off to another OG, Richard Harris. Hey, everybody. Uh, Richard Harris from the Harris Consulting Group, teaching reps how to earn the right to ask questions, which questions to ask and when. Um, I'm also working with um, the chat and making sure people get in. So if you see me sort of offline or not paying attention, um, I promise you have my attention. I'm just trying to navigate the group. Um, you know, Uncrushed is a big part of my life, thanks to Lindsay and having met her and, and some other folks. Um, and mental health has been very important to me and what I go through. And, and I don't know how deep we'll get into it today, but 
this week's been a little bit of a challenging week for me. Um, I'm not here to unload on everybody, but I, I bring that context to, hey, it happens. And sometimes you can't necessarily admit when it's happening or, or talk about it. And I'm one of those people who can, and it's okay. So um, don't worry, nothing bad. I'm not the kind to hurt myself or hurt others. Just having one of those days or one of those weeks. So um, let's, I'll stop there and we'll go on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Richard. And thank you so much for being, um, I guess you can say you're the director in the background handling everything for us. So thank you for that. And last but certainly, certainly not least, the newest member of the Top Sales Influencer crew and someone who truly embodies what it means to be a seller, founder of She Sells, Elise Archer. Hey, everyone. So good to be here with you. Just like the rest of our panelists today, this topic is near and dear to my heart. Um, and I'll just share a quick context. About 10 years ago, I was, I think, outwardly crushing it in corporate sales and looked like I had it all together, but inwardly was struggling with an eating disorder and with panic attacks. And it really led to a lot of the journey of what I've created today with She Sells. And my heart is just helping people really create success in all areas now, including mentally, emotionally, and financially through their sales. So super, super grateful to be here with every one of you today. Awesome. Thank you all so much for introducing yourselves. As you all can see, we have a bevy of talented individuals here today. And when we put this together, we wanted to make sure we included a lot of perspectives around mental health and sales. Reason being mental health awareness is not just the responsibility of the individual, but should be the focus of sales leaders around the world. Sales leaders who recognize and understand the value of mental health see a better morale for their teams. And in this session, we're gonna discuss how sales leaders who understand the value of mental health see a better performance from their teams. But before we dive into our big topics, because we're really gonna go deep today, I wanna first ask each member of the panel, what does mental health truly mean to you? And anyone can start. Let's start with Elise, since you're on my screen right now. <laughs> ah, for sure. You know, I I would say to me, I think this what stems, what creates a lot of mental health issues, and I'll just speak from my own experience and from clients I've worked with, is when there's a gap between how we feel like we have to present on the outside to be accepted, to be safe, to be secure, and then how we really feel on the inside. And when there's that gap, we tend to seek happiness, fulfill, fulfillment, validation through anything outside of us, right? And especially in sales, that can be so easy to do with commission and chasing awards and all of that. And my own journey when I was in that place was there were a lot of mental health issues, anxiety, depression, fear. And so I think as we can learn to close that gap, and I'm sure we'll talk about some of today how to do that, but as we can learn to close that gap and learn that when we try to seek happiness from anything outside of us that will typically manifest in a lot of those mental health issues and when we can learn to feel safe coming to others as we really are um, my experience has been everything transforms and and for me in my own life the mental health issues tended to go away at that point so so that to me is is what it is it's closing that gap Absolutely. And I agree with you when you say that, because I read a quote somewhere that said, you know, one of the best things that you can do for yourself is take care of your personal self and your self-care within, because then that'll help your business flourish as well, because what's happening within is going to show up in your business. So great takeaway from that. Absolutely. Marcus Chan, do you have some thoughts around that? What does mental health mean to you? Yeah, absolutely. At least so well said. Um, 
I'm pretty simple. I believe when you're able to show up authentically, being able to show up authentically as you, there's so much power in just that. And, you know, I remember uh, being a brand new rep starting in sales and I, I felt like I had to have this like corporate Marcus hat on where I had to just be somebody else, be, you know, be confident, act like I knew what I was doing, even though inside, like I'm getting torn apart by anxiety and depression and, and just the, the, the struggles of being in sales. And, and at least it's absolutely spot on that mental health piece is there's a disconnect. Who am I really, you know, being able to say, yeah, I'm scared of these things and ask for help. Or do I try to suck it up? And, you know, unfortunately, I work un under a leader whose mindset was very much like, just tough it out, suck it up, just work harder. You can outwork anything in you know, a little more old school. It's like, you know, like that, that's not a real thing. Mental health's not real. Like, just go out there and just grind it out. Even when I try to bring it up to him, right? And that was a really challenging thing for me. Um, but I remember eventually, you know, being able to work for a leader that was very open, that was very vulnerable. And it was like, hey, it was, it is, and just openly shared their own personal challenges. And to me, that was so powerful because then I could, I felt I could, I could openly share as well. And as a result, of course, that, that allows better healing for yourself when you actually feel psychologically safe, you know, like no one's perfect, but when you, when you realize you can be you and everyone's going to love you for just you, there's something wildly liberating about that. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. When you have a leader that allows you to be vulnerable and also recognizes the benefits of investing in what's happening in your life that could be impacting you, it just allows you to not only continue to go for them for guidance when you're down, but it allows you to feel comfortable to go to them when you're trying to achieve a new high. So absolutely, totally agree with you on that, Marcus. Um, and we're going to go ahead and kick it over to Lindsay. How did, exactly. Exactly what Marcus and Elise have said. And I'll just add a little bit of color around that. Um, you know, when my sister Melissa passed away in 2016, it was a shock to everybody. And I was at the right place at the right time as far as my career was um, at the company I worked for because I could be my authentic self. And I had a nervous breakdown. And what I'll say about that is that um, you have to have a support system. And it wasn't until my nervous breakdown that I could fully start being my authentic self. And I don't want anyone to have to go through a nervous breakdown to start realizing that they can explore being their authentic self. It was a, it was a full blown mental breakdown for me to explore that. And so hopefully what you get from this conversation today with all these people is that start exploring it now. Don't have a nervous breakdown to get there because for me, it took a nervous breakdown for me to get there. And I don't wish that on anybody, just my two sons. Absolutely. And I think that oftentimes we take, we think we have to wait till things get to the absolute worst before we address it. And there's so much power in healing before it gets to that point, because then you're able to address things in a clearer mind space than you would be when you already essentially hit a mental rock bottom. So I agree with you. It's definitely important to take advantage of, of spaces like this that teach you what the awareness around that looks like and teaches you what those things look like. So absolutely. Going to kick it over to Naraj. I just want to say something very similar to Lindsay. <laughs> so I'm going to think of something completely different to say now. Um, whenever people talk about sales, 
uh, and you do any kind of sales training, people always focus heavily on how to close a deal and the best strategies out there, and the latest software you're going to have. What people need to talk about more, which is just as important, is leading from the heart. It's kindness, it's vulnerability, and it's mental health. And your mental health is like a combination of mindset. It's a combination of good mental health. It's a combination of good physical health. It's a combination of your attitude. And you have to get that into a good shape. Because once that's in a really good shape, you'll perform so much better. And that comes from, of course, being very mindful, being very self-aware. Unfortunately, salespeople are probably the least aware people I've ever come across in my life. And I really encourage every salesperson I speak to, you know, to keep a gratitude journal, for example. And end of each day, spend 10 minutes writing down what you're grateful for, but also write down what you did well that day. And also write down what challenges, if any, you had. And work every day to work on those challenges. Because mental health is not about making massive leaps and improvements. It's about taking baby steps. If you take baby steps every day and improvements every day, then long-term, you'll be fantastic. Absolutely. And I totally agree with you about leading from the heart and also maintaining a gratitude journal. I think it's important to just look back on how far you've come when you write down what you're grateful for every day. And oftentimes you see a consistent trend on the things that make you happy. And those are the things that you should amplify in your everyday life to continue to maintain that same mental space. So thank you for those tidbits, Naraj. And I definitely wrote that down. Now we have, of course, Richard. <laughs> I'm not. I'm. I'm not going to repeat everything everybody said because uh, it's all. It, it's all accurate. It's a thousand percent accurate. The one thing that um, I would say it's a quote I, I heard. It's not my quote, um, and I, I. I can't remember if he's a doctor. It's Rick. Somebody says it, but the 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 comment is that our brain is like Velcro for negativity and Teflon for positivity. And it's a great way to just kind of remember, you know, like, oh yeah, part of this is just who we are as humans for whatever reason. And then if you can couple that with all the little pieces of advice from Mirage and Marcus of like, you know, whether it's a gratitude journal, maybe maybe a gratitude journal is too heavy of a lift. I don't have time for it, but I could do a gravity, a, a grateful thought. I can sit down for three seconds and think of one or two things. You know, I like the idea of writing things down. I think that creates a greater commitment, but maybe your baby step is just a grateful moment. Um, in our family, we do, uh, we haven't done them in a while, but we we often do roses and thorns. What was your rose of the day and what was your thorn for the day, right? And it encourages just a conversation with the family of things. And sometimes they're goofy and idiotic because the boys don't want to do it. They're teenagers and sometimes they're really serious. So I think that's a, you know, a, just a, a, a tidbit. Um, well, I'll stop there and, and join. Um, when also, whenever you're ready to join, we've got three questions from the audience. So happy to let, let the audience, I've got them written down. Um, so whenever you want to do that, that's fine. But I know we have some other questions we wanted to use as well. Absolutely. So for the sake of making sure that we're engaging with our incredible audience that joined us today, let's go ahead and ask one of those questions before we dive into topic number one. Sounds good. Um, it's a great question. And for now, I know they're in the chat, but I'm just, I'm not going to mention names because I just think this is a, we want to create a safe space. Like, by the way, we didn't, we, you know, it's a really important thing. This is a safe space. Share what you're comfortable sharing. If you're not comfortable sharing and you want to be an observer and a lurker, we're down. We get it. It's no big deal. Uh, this, this space is meant for you. Uh, so the first question that came in was, 
Um, how do you support team members who are both underperforming and expressing mental health challenges? Um, so it's a great question. I don't know. Anybody can ask it or anybody, any panelists can answer it. Yeah, I could jump on this one, right? This, this is a, obviously this is a challenging one, right? Um, I think what's really, really important too, because, you know, as, as, a, as a former sales leader running really big teams, I, this is this is definitely come for sure. They're underperforming and they also have, a, have mental health challenges. I think what's important to understand is, yes, they are definitely connected. But first off, if you realize they have mental health challenges, you probably have actually done a relatively okay job first off that you actually create an environment that's actually going to share that with you. That's actually a good sign. You know, that's, that's actually a really, really good sign. Um, now, I'm going to throw like my compliance like lawyer hat for a second, my HR hat for a second. I think once you kind of find that out, you definitely need to get your HR team involved ASAP. That's just as a good leader, you just want to get them involved as soon as possible. It's not that, you know, we don't necessarily not trust people to try to take advantage of the system, but it's just so you have at least a document to pass so you can really make sure you are supporting them. Um, I think once you realize that they're running some mental health challenges, I think one of the first things I would do talking with HR, was I'll find out what resources does a company have available, like an EAP program. That's a perfect example. So and it's an employee assistance program. So in the past where this has happened, one of the first things I do, I've made sure I knew all the resources and working with the rep, we disassociated them from their number. Like it wasn't like, hey, like you're a bad person. You're not performing. There's something wrong with you. No, 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 no. It's like, hey, let's, well, thank you so much for sharing that with me. Uh, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so, I'm so happy you told me this. And then now we can actually work together to work through this. And, and work with it. What can I do to best support you? You know, just put the numbers up. Forget the number. Forget the quota. Forget everything for now. Um, I'm going to jump in on this one. I love, yeah. uh, I love what you said about disassociating with the number. Yeah. Uh, creating creating a, an appropriate plan to do that um, so that they can feel a little bit less stress. Um, 100%. To, to do that, you definitely got to do the HR thing. Yes. I'm not sure the first time they come to me with it, I would go document it from that mm -hmm. perspective. I might have it, you know, I can mentally write something up if I need to later, but I, I really just want to understand, you know, what can I do to support you? Like that's it. as well. I, you know, particularly for me, cause I can say, look, I have my challenges, you know, um, what kind of support are you looking for? What can I do? Do you just, are you here to vent? Are you here to ask for specific help? Are you, you know, what, cause I want to do, what I can, I'd be depending on my relationship. And I agree a thousand percent with Marcus. If someone's coming to you, you've done an amazing job already. And you probably already know how to do this to say, well, what's going on? Like, what, you know, how, how you know, how are you? Cause as a human, I do need to connect with them um, and, and, and bring that piece. And, and part of this conversation to me would be outside the office. Um, you got it. I would not do it in an office if I'm in an office environment. I would try to encourage if you can, even if it's going to be Zoom, to do a walk and talk where you're both on Zoom, but you're out walking and getting a little exercise because we know that helps send some positive energy. So those are just a couple of thoughts that, that I will throw out there. I'll, I'll let some other people jump in. Honestly, that's an incredible tip. I never thought to do a walk and talk via Zoom. I, I forget the the perks that we learned from the COVID era of the things we can do to really continue to engage and be, be with each other around that. But that's a great takeaway. Anyone else want to add to that? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a great saying. Um, it's not a great saying. It's an important saying. You know, everybody's going through some kind of internal battle. And I spend a lot of my time, you know, working with sales teams who are often going through certain challenges. And I've seen bosses come in on, in the morning going, okay, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this. And if a team member explains a problem, I've seen bosses say, I just work through it, you'll be fine. Or even worse, they say, you got a mental health problem. Okay, do this, do this, do this. All right, what's next? The most important thing you can give people is your time. And quite often, you don't even have to have the answer. And it's very important sales leaders here and future sales leaders know this. Sometimes people have just had a really horrible weekend. They may have had a health challenge. They may have had a family challenge. Maybe they're just lonely. And sometimes as human beings, all we want is to have our voices heard. That's it. You don't have to give us the right answers. Sometimes we just want to be listened to. And sometimes the best thing you can do is give somebody your time. I just want to kind of, that's not a profound statement, but I think it's a very important one. So keep that in mind as well. Because when I've seen leaders give members of staff time, their staff are suddenly more grateful. When you've got members of staff who feel appreciated and grateful, guess what? The performance improves, not just their mental health performance, their work performance too. So I want to add a couple of things too. I think this is such a great topic here because I think as leaders, um, one of the most important things we can do is constantly be giving deposits to our team. So it's not wait until they underperform. It's not wait until we see changes in behavior. Do we say, oh, what's what's going on? Um, you know, at the end of the day, whether it's physical health, mental health, spiritual health, it becomes a death by a thousand paper cuts where it's a lot of little things that ultimately add up over time that lead to something potentially very, very explosive, very, very dangerous. So as a leader, one of the most important things you can do to be proactive is, you know, obviously have the consistent one-on-ones with your reps, whether it's a walk and zoom, et cetera, but don't forget just to put, a, put away the, the, put away the trackers, put away the KPIs and just check in. How are you really doing? How's everything going? What's going on in your world? And when you do that consistently over time, you may be able to, you know, see earlier signs to actually help them and potentially guide them before it gets to a point where they're down a rabbit hole of just their own, you know, the mental health piece and also the numbers are tanking. So they have all these things. They feel like they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. So as leaders, the more we can support our teams proactively, it can help, you know, potentially catch these things earlier on that can help save them, if you will, from further damage themselves. Absolutely, Marcus. And when we're talking about leadership, you actually are giving me a perfect way to segue into our topic number one (laughs) about what can leaders do to bring out the best in their team members. And funny enough, you guys being outstanding leaders have already dropped some great tips and best practices. But I would love to hear from Lindsay and Elise, like, what are your thoughts? What can leaders do to bring out the best in their team members. And I'm also opening that question to the chat. Let us know if you have some best practices that we all can learn today too. So Lisa and Lindsay, you can start this week. Yeah, I think one of the things that I do when I start at a new organization is within the first couple of weeks, I share my story with my entire team because I want them to know vulnerability is really important to me. And I want them to know my story. Um, they could do a quick Google search on me and find it right away, but that's not the same as them hearing it from me, from my mouth. And, um, I want them to know that vulnerability is important to me so that they feel the same way sharing 
their story with me if they need to come to me with something. And I want them to have their EAP resources if they need it. I don't want that. I don't want it to be this foreign thing that they don't know about. I want them to have the resources they need, but, um, you know, not talking about it is something that's not a thing. Mental health is so important to me that it's a topic of conversation we have consistently all the time. And, um, making sure that they take their PTO days is something that I bring up all the time. Making sure that they have the resources they need is something I bring up all the time. And, um, you know, sharing my mental health journey is something that, that I bring up a lot because I don't want anyone to go through what I went through ever. And, um, that's just something that I, that I make sure as much as I can humanly possible, um, it's my mission in life to make sure that I can impact as many people as I can with my story. So that's, that's my mission. Absolutely. And I love that you allowed that to be something that's embedded in how, who you are as a person, not just as a leader, to always having that open door policy with life to allow people to be able to come to you for that type of, for that kind of type of safe space. Because I don't think there's a lot of opportunities for people to even interact with the people in their life actively to have those spaces. So thanks for keeping those lines of, of communication open for your teams. And sure. Elise, may I hear from you about that? I would love to know what leaders can do to bring out the best in their team members from you. Yeah, well, I think it's been such great you know, feedback from the rest of the panelists so far. And I've had the experience of leading large sales teams when I was in corporate, and I now lead a small but mighty team in my own company. And one of the things that I think is really important is for us to define what is success. And I know for most of my life, especially in my sales journey, I define success as I'm making more and more money, right? I'm at the top of the leaderboard, yada, yada, all the accolades. And hitting that and then still not being happy, I had to look at, well, what really is success? And to me, happiness is success. And so for our team, when we're working with them, if we can define, you know, your success here is about happiness and thriving in all areas and opening up open lines of communication, like Lindsay mentioned, which is so, so, so important. Um, you know, talking about for, for my team now, like I said, we're small, but mighty, but we check in with each other. Like, how was your workout this morning? Did you meditate this morning? How was that? And just talking about that. And then I think to, to kind of piggyback on what Marcus said before about just focusing on filling that bank, right? Catch your team finding things, catch your, like find your team doing things right, catch them doing things right. And this is, it may sound not heartfelt, but for me, I know it's so easy to get caught up in just the day-to-day -day running of our sales and our organization's but I literally in the morning, I've got a checklist of things I do just to kind of get the day ramped up. And one of the things on the checklist is tell my team members what they're doing right. Like every morning, it's part of the checklist, because if it's not, guess what? It, I may forget it. And so it's just one of those little intentional things that I think we can do as a leader, because you've all heard it and it's true what you focus on expands. So thinking about how can I proactively just pour into my team, speak life over my team, right? Because they will rise up to your level of expectation for them and what you speak over them. But we've got to remember to be conscious enough to, to remember to do that as leaders. So those are some things in my experience that have helped. Yeah, I, ch I chime in a little bit here too, is that, you know, I love what Elise is doing is trying to catch them doing things right. Mm -hmm. Believe me, they probably already caught themselves doing it wrong. 
<laughs> we all have. And so, you know, doing that reinforcement uh, in a positive way is super healthy. Um, you know, Lindsay and I last year, as part of Uncrush, put out a report, the 2021 State of Mental Health in Sales report. We're currently working on 2022, but some interesting data. Um, when salespeople felt that their mental health was good, they felt three times more likely that they could achieve their goals and do the things they wanted to do from a work perspective. Now, part of that also comes back to stigma because there's a stigma in the workplace, right? I remember when I first started going to mental health stuff in my early 30s, I didn't want to put it on my insurance because I was afraid my company would find out because I didn't want to be one of those people. I wasn't crazy. And, um, you know, over time, that stigma has started to wear off and I'm seeing and hearing more people talk about it, which I love. Um, but the problem is, is that close to about 45% of people still say they feel like there's a stigma in the workplace around discussing mental health. That's a lot. That's still a lot. I'm happy that there are, you know, places where you can, but that's a lot of places where you can't. And uh, sometimes that's their own perception. Sometimes it's reality, but I, I just want to try and put some data behind this, that this is how important it is. Like, this is not just, you know, a bunch of people trying to you know, feel good and have a group hug, which, you know, we're happy to do here. So. Absolutely. Well, Absolutely. A couple of things, Jeff, if you don't mind, because um, I, I love the points that Richard's made. I love the points that Elise just made. And I think part of, you know, part of creating that culture of like openness and vulnerability is also being able to create a culture of being okay to make mistakes. You know, I think a lot of salespeople in general, like, I think, a lot of them are in, generally speaking are kind of type a right like they want to do things well they want to do great they want they're almost like a perfectionist almost perfectionist and when they don't do it right they beat themselves up internally usually way harder than anyone else would ever do it to them and as leaders if we can help encourage that it's okay to you know quote unquote fail forward right it's okay that either you win or you learn but when you start making that just normal it's like cool hey no worries you made a mistake not a big deal cool what do we learn from it? Awesome. Let's keep on moving on. That's the stuff that becomes very, very powerful. That's why I love, love even things like, um, you know, the rose and thorns that Richard mentioned earlier, right? Because when you, when you just choose one, one rose, one thorn for the day, you're isolating the focus versus let me find a hundred thorns from the day and one rose. Um, but when you just choose, Hey, it's okay to make mistakes. We're going to learn from mistakes and you create that culture then people are going to be more open to sharing their mistakes, learning from it, and knowing, hey, cool, I'm just always going to try forward. Because if they don't try, on the flip side, they're almost too reserved, and then they hold it in. And I found that as a you know leader when I started leading people, I made a mistake early on. I never been, I never been in mistakes. And that was a huge mistake, obviously, because then people were scared to admit that they had mistakes. They're like, oh, we need to be perfect. I'm like, well, no, actually, I make mistakes all the time. Ask my wife. But you have to get yourself in that mind space of it's okay to make mistakes. We can all learn from it. But you as a leader have to lead from the front and show it, display it, and talk about nonstop. So that way, over time, it becomes part of the culture and it's normalized that we all are always learning. Absolutely, Marcus. And I think that 
that's a great way to package that because one of the things that we even do here um, with our team at Salesforce is we we simply have a on our team in particular, we do a gratitude moment. And like Naraj mentioned earlier, having that space to say, what are you grateful for this week? What are you happy for? And sometimes you could just be grateful for, for making it through another week. It might have had a stressful week, but allowing you to have that space to say, you know what? It was a tough week, but I'm grateful that I made it to Thursday. I, you know, was able to get off all my emails this week and communicate with the people I need to communicate with. You might have not had many big wins, but just being able to celebrate, being able to just be at work and do your job. Sometimes that's a win when you're going through so much in your everyday. But that's a great segue into our next topic, which is why leading with vulnerability is the secret tool of the highest performing leaders. And I'll kick that over to Naraj because Leading with vulnerability is something that you just spoke about, but what are some secret tools that you utilize? You know, there's this attitude, the world has changed so much in the last two years in the world of sales. And, you know, 20 years ago, you could be quite macho and get away with it. And 10 years ago, you could. Now you can't. Now it's just cliched and boring and actually quite embarrassing. And I see people trying to crush it and kill it and annihilate it. And people want to see the human being. This is one of the big advantages. We've had some good parts of lockdown and some terrible parts of lockdown. And one of the best parts is people want to know people. People buy from people they like, know, and trust. We all know this. But when you lead from the heart and you lead with vulnerability, you show who you are behind the job title. Now, what happened to me having gone through a very painful divorce and then having all my clients in March 2020 say, hey, we got no money left. And then spending four months alone, that crippled my mental health and put me in a very bad place emotionally where I really struggled. And things got so bad that after 25 years working in London, I moved countries and I literally moved from London back to working class Ireland live with my parents and recover. That's how bad things got. So almost my life was like starting off from zero. And because we then went into another five month lockdown, I didn't really know how to express myself. So I started writing articles and posts on LinkedIn talking about the difficulty of being a middle-aged man who was single and had no partner. I talked about the difficulty of online dating and turning up for a date who was 20 years older than her profile or often whose husband was sitting in the corner of the restaurant, or all these horrible experiences, which everybody thought was hilarious except me. I talked about the difficulty of loneliness. And what surprised me when I did these posts were not just the hundreds of people who commented saying they were struggling too, but the hundreds of people who messaged me to say, you know what, I'm struggling as well, but I work in insurance. I can't talk about it. Or I work in logistics. They're all men. We, we can't discuss these things. And all of a sudden, you're becoming a voice for people who don't have a voice. And that's something I never planned to happen in my life, but it's something that did happen. And as a result, I kept talking about it more and more. And I became almost a spokesperson for so many people who are going through mental health challenges. So there's the satisfaction of that, but there's a career part of it where people who've been following me on LinkedIn for a long time suddenly went, ah, he's not just a salesperson, he's a nice human being. <laughs> and, and they saw past the job title and they reached out to me to say, I really like what you have to say, it resonated with me. Can we have a chat next week about some coaching or some mindset work? And all of a sudden, I rebuilt my career doing that. So when you leave from vulnerability, you're helping people who don't have a voice, which is very, very important. And 
You're helping clients connect with you on a deeper level. And that's why I encourage everyone to lead with vulnerability. You don't have to talk about every scar, of course, like I did. But it's great to show you're a human being sometimes because people do business with people they like, know, and trust. Absolutely. And that's a great point. I think that oftentimes people forget that you don't always have to lead with your wall up. Everyone's not out to get you. And I think that oftentimes when you work in such a competitive space like sales, you automatically assume like you have to just protect yourself and your thoughts and your feelings so that you can focus on your end goal. But knowing that you can have a safe space in a competitive culture to be able to continue to remain competitive and succeed is a huge, huge need. So absolutely continuing to lead from the heart. And let's see, I would love to hear from Lindsay or Elise or Marcus or Richard about what are their, uh, what are their take on vulnerability and their secret tools. Uh, I would say for me, it's similar to Niraj in the fact that writing fundamentally changed my life and career, writing an article about my nervous breakdown. Um, my goal was to just impact even one person would, would make my day. And, um, it, it definitely did, but furthermore, um, it's, it's helped other people with their, with their lives, being able to share their stories and being able to go on. And some people have written books on their stories and that's really touched me because, uh, I just wanted to impact one person and other people have written books about their journeys. Um, you know, it led me to a TEDx. Um, it led me to co-found Uncrushed. Um, and it was just because I wanted to write an article to impact one person. And I, I think, you know, writing has just taken on its, a full course of its own. Um, it just started with an article and, and that's all it took. But, um, you know, there's a lot of different avenues out there. And just like Niraj said, you know, some people are out there um, doing their own thing, but it's uh, you can you can write for so many different topics, but mental health is you know kind of the avenue I've been taking, and um, a lot of people want to hear about it because not a lot of people talk about mental health, and um, a lot of people want to hear about it because a lot of people are struggling with it, especially during the pandemic, and a lot of people need to hear about it. So I'll, um, I'll jump in on this a little bit too because. Um, I'm part of this, and to a certain extent, all of you, it's a little bit like Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, uh, <laughs> I think is now down to three, but um, I found out I'm one degree away the other day, but, um, you know, I saw Lindsay's article and reached out to her directly, I knew of Lindsay, um, and just reached out to her, and then that started a, a, a small conversation, and then the Uncrushed thing came out, and I emailed Lindsay again and said, here's my story, and wrote it, and bonded and then you know really tried to help uncrushed and then um the relationship just built and we have done a lot of things around mental health and to this point of this topic we're here because of it so it really when you're comfortable with being vulnerable because you have to go at your pace um, sometimes it's just being vulnerable within yourself to just sort of admit your challenge and say i'm not even sure what i need to do i just need to admit that this is an issue you don't have to solve it all the time um, immediately. I will tell you that there's compounding interest on when you do the positive things for yourself and others. Sometimes it's easier to do for somebody else than it is for you, right? We've all said, gosh, I should follow my own advice. 
<laughs> but doesn't always, you know, we're, we're not always great at it. We're great at giving advice, right? We can always tell somebody what they should do. Uh, so I, I want to chime in on that. I want to, I want to bring this one up. Um, this is another question from, from the crowd. And please put your questions in the audience or hit them to me directly if you want to remain anonymous. Um, this is a great question and it fits into this, which is how can leaders stay positive for their team when the leader is struggling? Right. Like, because I've had that problem, right? Like, you know, is it a fake it till you make it kind of thing? And I'm not going to answer because I answered the last one. So I don't know. Anybody else on the panel want to go for it? I can jump into this real quick. Um, so this is a this is a few years back. And you know, it, it was it was actually a really interesting interesting time for me because um I was dealing new challenge I never dealt with before. And you know, for for for, for a while, I was you know, kind of rolling the corporate career, doing pretty well leading a really, really big sales organization. And I actually had, um, you know, one of my former managers pass away. He actually passed away, young guy, 30 years old. Um, and, and there was, it was, it was, it was really tough for me because he passed away because um, he ended up, uh, he ended up having alcoholism. So I didn't know he himself dealt with some other mental health issues. He ended up just had, I guess the only people really close to him actually knew, I didn't know this, but he, he turned to alcoholism over time. Eventually his liver failed and he passed away. Very, very young guy. Like I think he was 31 at the time passed away. And that, um, that was definitely, that shook me. I mean, because, you know, over, over the years I had seen how mental health had impacted people in different ways. I, I mean, me personally trying to deal with it. I, I turned to smoking marijuana and binge drinking. That was my coping mechanism. I seen people turn to prescription meds, alcohol, et cetera, other things. Um, but I hadn't seen it to the point where someone actually passed away. And and frankly, that like that, like that was like a wake-up call. But then on top of that, what ended up happening from that point within a couple of weeks, his parents actually started to message me and blame me for the death of their son, saying I created too much pressure on them. They actually started going on social media, tagging me posting me publicly and, and that like, that like wrecked me. Um, and that was hard for me to, that was really hard for me to deal with. And there were, we had some other things within, within the corporation, like, Hey, don't respond because, because of HR, et cetera. Um, but in, inside for me, that was like, that's, that's, I, that was like, Whoa, like, Whoa, what, what is, uh, I've never had that ever happen before. I mean, it's already, there's already guilt already. Like, should I seen signs? Should I have seen, like, I know him pretty well. I know, I know his wife, like, was there anything I could have done before? Like, what else could I have done? And not, not even as a sales lead, but just as a friend. So when it, when it, when it got to this level where suddenly I'm getting accused of essentially causing their son's death, even though logically I could say, well, that doesn't make any sense. But emotionally, mentally, I'm like, but I care about this guy. Did I? You second guess yourself. And I remember just like, you know, how, how do I stay positive here? Outside to everyone else, they're like, oh, he's crushing it. He's riding around in corporate jets. He's going around. His team is like one of the top of the company. Everything is perfect for him. Inside, I was dying. Like, I almost quit. I almost like, oh, I almost like just gave up. I'm like, I, I, I can't do this. Like, I'm done. Like, I'm just going to do whatever. Um, but in terms of like how I actually dealt with, I think the, the first piece was I had to like, just like, I just had to talk it out. That, that was, that, I was trying to first, I was trying to internalize it all. You know, just try to internalize. I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna work out harder. I'm gonna meditate harder. I'm gonna do all these things harder. I'm gonna eat cleaner. Yeah, to a certain extent, that can help. 
but I had no outlet. I had no outlet. Um, so then, of course, you know, it's like, and that's why I do these things. This is actually when I actually first started doing a gratitude journal. And that was, that was actually when I first started doing that because that was something I heard about. And I actually thought it was really cheesy. I'm like, that sounds cheesy. There's no way I'm going to do that. I don't have time for that. Um, but then forcing myself to write down every day three things I was grateful for, force myself to process it, um, that helped quite a bit. And of course, being able to talk it out with my wife and the people, you know, mentors and stuff, that was key. Um, it was being able to admit I, I was run, I was struggling. That was the first piece because I was trying to push through the first and I wasn't really pushing. So I had to admit I was struggling, then have some sort of plan in place kind of, and kind of deal with it, right? Um, and, he, and at that point, I mean, my boss, amazing. So I felt really comfortable going to her as well. So that was really, really, really amazing for me just to know I was in a psychologically safe environment to be able to have a conversation and share how I really felt. Um, but it wasn't like magically overnight it was gone. It was, okay, talking about it more, writing my thoughts out, getting it out, gratitude journal, doing all the things I could control. That was key. I actually also stopped drinking then too. That was like, I was like, I need to like, I need to have everything clean. Everything's got to be clean so I can just like be the best version of me. But all those things kind of added up, end up eventually helped me kind of get through it. And a lot of time, I think we look for one silver bullet, one magic thing, one gratitude journal. It's like, that's, that's not going to solve it. Use this combination of many things that you do consistently over time that allow you to just show up and be the best version of you. So that's long story short, that's, that's kind of how I dealt with it. But that was key for me is number one, admitting I had this, this challenge and number two, working through it and just being able to process through effectively. So this way I could still show up to be the best version of me to, you know, for my family, my kid, uh, for my, my peers to my team as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that, Marcus. And again, thank you for coming to this safe space with your vulnerability and that story, because oftentimes when people are dealing with, especially families who are grieving, oftentimes they're trying to pinpoint where the pain they can put mm -hmm. the pain. And oftentimes if you don't understand who you are, if you're not grounded in who you are as a person, you, you can succumb to those ideas that others have about you as a sales leader, as someone who, you know, you could sit there, your colleagues can have an idea of you, but you're like, that's not who I am. Or some people feel like as a sales leader, that they're defined by the one mistake that they made. Now they're constantly living in that guilt. And if you're a leader and you're allowing your sales team members to know what they're doing good, what's going on, how you can be there for them in times of need um, and know that you actually put your best foot forward, then you shouldn't have to live with the burden of thinking what more could you have done because you know right. who you are. Um, yeah. If I could add to this a little bit too as well, because um, you know, one of the things eventually over time that helped me also deal with the situation and actually kind of even address even some of the prior question you had in terms of a tool, because this is like, this is a, a tool that I utilize all throughout whether it was in other parts of my career, but even after that really helped me deal with it as well. I called it the, the triple H, right? So one of the things was when I, when I started leading big teams, I knew they had a perception about me based on what they saw, just like, you know, they saw me and they saw me doing big speaking engagements at the company, saw me do big training. They had this perception about me that I knew wasn't real. It was just a facade. It was just a little snapshot of everything. So one of the things I would do with my sales team, you could do it with your team as well. You don't do it all the time because you have to balance. Otherwise, it means nothing if you do it every single week. 
But, uh, you know, whenever I came into town, because I had a lot of teams, I would come in town every few weeks, maybe every six to eight weeks, I would do this exercise like over lunch. So like we're, we're out somewhere eating. We're not like sitting in a conference room, like like a presentation style. It's like it was, I want them in a psychologically safe environment. And I would say, let's do this. Let's do this. Like everyone goes, go, go around. And you just choose one age. You share either uh, a highlight. You want to share the team, uh, a hero of yours or a hardship, a hero, a highlight or a hardship. And you can share whatever you feel comfortable with. And of course, everyone's kind of thinking, you know, because most people want, want to show up well in front of their peers. So most of them are trying to choose a highlight or whatever, maybe a hero. Well, I would utilize this opportunity to share hardship every single time. I always chose hardship every single time. And I would choose things like the experience I just shared with you all. Because they're like, whoa. If they were like, if they were there, like, I had no idea you'd deal with that. And then, of course, naturally, by being really vulnerable across the board from everything from work stuff, personal stuff, I showed bad habits I have from whether when I grew up having a speech impediment, my insecurities, I would just share them as hardships. So this way they could hear the story behind it. And that, and because of that, then they'd be more open to sharing their own. And each time when you give a little bit of yourself out, they're going to give back to you as well. And it was amazing just the stories they would share about themselves. And even if they weren't comfortable with the hardship, even the heroes, the high, what they're proud of was incredible because they would just tell you amazing things that you would never know if you only focus on the number. And the amazing parts of courses, then from there, you have a different bond with them because they share that personal stuff, but they'll pull you aside after and share really amazing things. So I think it's a really great exercise for anyone out there, a hero, a highlight, a hardship that you can do consistently. And the key is, you have to lead by example, like we discussed before. Otherwise, it becomes a really superficial. Hey, my highlight is I, I won this award. That's that's superficial. Like, what's let's go deep here. What does it actually mean for you, right? So, lead by example, lead with the heart. When you do that, then it's amazing what happens with the culture you build because of that. Absolutely, and I want to kick it over to any of the other uh, influencers that want to add to that. What what are some more tools that you guys use? These are this is the time that we want to really give people just the things that they need, the tangible tools that they can use. Like I'm looking at Elise's background, I'm looking at Lindsay's background, Namaste. Like, what are some tools? Is it changing your environment? Is it taking time to go, like Richard said, on a walk and talk with your leader? Is it setting a dedicated and Richard gave me this advice the other day? He said, Joe, give yourself a dedicated time block. Give it a, give a special color, pink, yellow, red, whatever you want to put it as. And let that be your time, whether it's for you to eat, to go walk, to go handle something. And you'll be shocked how you get so much accomplished in your day when you dedicate some time to yourself. So what are some tools you guys have? Lindsay, Elise, Naraj, Richard, Marcus, we could spend the block on you too because you have such great insights. But what tools do you guys have? Yeah, I, I'd love to jump in with just two things. Um, one is going to be a mindset, I think, for every leader that for me was a really helpful mindset to have. And then I'll, I'll give a tactical tool as well. But I had a coach say this to me once, and this visual has stayed with me. And she said, you know, when you're supporting a lot of people and when you're a leader, whether you're supporting a team of two or a team of 5,000, right, you're supporting other people. You almost want to think about like you're a boat out in the ocean. And for you to be able to support a lot of other people, you've got to be, you've got to be an ocean liner, 
you've got to be so fortified. That boat has to be so strong. You can't be a flimsy little raft out floating in the ocean, right? It's going to sink. And so I think, you know, we talk about in our, in our business culture, and you know, I talk about this, I, I, I don't actually don't know how prevalent this is in business culture. As I say this, I'm like pouring from a full cup, right? We can't pour from an empty cup. So we want to pour from a full cup, but I think taking it one step beyond that and saying, no, you need to pour from a cup that's overflowing because you're so full. And so what would it look like? And everyone here is going to be different, but what would it look like for your cup to be overflowing? And what do you need to pour into yourself in order to do that? So how's your self-care? How's your exercise? How's your nutrition? Do you have someone you can confide in when stuff comes up? Because sometimes to Richard's point before, like when we're dealing with something, we don't necessarily always feel comfortable bringing it to everyone. And sometimes it is better to teach from the scar than from the wound. But do you have someone you can confide in and go to? So just really thinking about being, what would it look like for you to be that fortified ocean liner so that you can carry the team through challenging times and stay focused on that vision? And then the tactical that I'll use is we all do this, right? We all carry the energy of the, like the last meeting into the next meeting, if we're not conscious about it. And I don't know about you all, but pretty much every day I have an interaction that's like, it, it does it, it's not one person in particular, but I'll have an interaction with a client, with a team member. I'll see something on social media and something inside of me gets triggered. And so I know in that moment, if I don't do something to release that energy, I'm going to carry that with me into the next meeting. And so when we think about it, we go through all these transitions in our days and we go through transitions from waking up. And if you have a family, spending time with the family to then going into the office, spending time with team and clients to then transitioning out of that and going, if you work in an office, driving back home, being with your family again. So we go through these transitions and if we're not conscious about showing up with our full presence and our full, um, our full power in that moment, we kind of carry this burden of this, this energy from the past, the past meetings we've been into these meetings. And so this is something, it's not mine. It's from Brendan Burchard, but I think it's super powerful. It's an exercise he teaches called release tension and set intention. And it's something that I've practiced for years. It's something I've taught my clients, especially when they're, you know, heading home from work and heading home to be with their family. I work with a lot of clients who are in high performing roles at work. And then they notice that sometimes they're dragging that back to their family and they're still in workload and they want to be present with their kids or present with their partner, but they're not. And it's this little exercise. It can take you 30 seconds and you do it in the transition moments of the day. And if you can, like if you're driving, don't close your eyes. You can do this while you're driving. But if you're parked or you're, you know, you can be in front of your computer and just close your eyes and you just literally repeat release, release, release. And as you say that, you want to visualize the tension from the day or the tension from the last meeting just dripping off your body. Basically, like feel it going into the floor and out of your body. So you release the tension. And that can take as little as 15 seconds, maybe as much as 30 seconds if you need to. And then you set an intention for how you want to show up in that next segment of your day. So for that next meeting, what's your intention? How do you want to show up? How do you want to deliver for your family? Who do you want to be? Because we all wear so many different roles and hats and we're different people for different people throughout the day too. So what's the intention for that next 
segment of your day going to be? So it's just release tension, set intention. It's a little tool you can do throughout the day. And it, it'll, it'll help a lot. And you can teach your team to do it as well. Absolutely. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves to release and relax. I follow, um, I too get distracted by social media. And sometimes I'll see a post that has no relevance to me, but it triggers me. And I'm like, great. Now I'm like, I have to regroup, reset. And I have another call in 15 minutes where I have to show up as the person that they're expecting to see. And like you said, in order to be the best version of yourself, we really should strive to be pouring from an overflowing glass instead of trying to take our glass from 100% and saying, well, I can operate at 70%, as long as other people can get their 30%. You deserve to be at 100% and give people that 110%. Give them that 10 and 20% that's overflowing. But one tip to release, I also learned on Instagram, is you don't notice that when you're sitting still that you're like your tongue is naturally applying pressure upward in your mouth. So relax your jaw and release your tongue. You're probably sitting with a lot of pressure in your jaw and head region. So relax your mouth, release your tongue from the top of your mouth. If you're just listening on the call, you probably didn't notice you were doing that. So fun fact. <laughs> so Joanne, yeah. if I can share something, I think this might help too. I, I look, I love the exactly what Elise said right there. Um, so I think one of the things that a lot of us really struggle with is we actually lack self-awareness. Like we just, we, we all struggle with it. We all think we're better or worse than we really are. And oftentimes we have a massive disconnect with the actions that we take and the results that we get, whether it's today, tomorrow, down the road. So one of the things that I do every single Friday, I've done this for over a decade now, <clears throat> is asking what I call my protected hour. So it's a one hour blocked my calendar every Friday. I don't do anything else but the simple thing in which I write down the answers to these questions, which is number one, I'm going to remember here, what gave me energy this week? What gave me energy? So now I know I can look back at my calendar. Like, <clears throat> well, this gave me energy. Cool, because you want to do more of those things, right? Uh, what stressed me out or removed energy? What detracted my energy? And that is, is wildly powerful it, because it's amazing. I start reflecting back, like, what was exactly? And what's one thing I'll do differently? And oftentimes, what we find when you really, really think about it, it's not about doing more things, it's about doing less. It's about elimination that leads to addition or multiplication. So for example, um, a few things that I do because of this exercise over time, it's evolved. I personally, this may shock y'all, I personally do not like social media. That's just, I don't like social media. I don't like Facebook. I don't, like I don't even like LinkedIn. I know it's a shocker. I don't even like LinkedIn. So I literally, because I know once I go down the rabbit hole, you have comparison traps. You start going to the rabbit before you know it, three, four hours have gone by, the red bubble is showing up and you're just distracted. And you're like, what the heck did I just do? And I don't like that feeling. So I've even done things now because of this reflection to eliminate even more. So for instance, my phone's on do not disturb literally all day long, all day long. So do not disturb. I have all apps, uh, no things turned off. I literally have on my desktop uh, a, a newsfeed eradicator. It gets rid of the whole newsfeed. So when I go on a LinkedIn to post, it eliminates my whole newsfeed. So I don't go down this rabbit hole, right? Uh, I even have red light filters on my phone to eliminate uh, the notification bubbles that you might see later on. So that way I could spend my energy in the right things. And for me, the right things are doing things that either, you know, fill me up, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. So 
when you're saying yes to something else, you're actually saying no to some, you know, to some, something like that could be way more important. So when I focus on doing these type of things, it becomes wildly powerful. Like Richard said here, great example, pay the kids off of social media, right? Because ultimately, you know, when our brains are fully distracted at all times, which is its game of attention, we're not able to be truly present, to be really grateful, to be really creative to the level we want to be. It's only when we have complete focus, when we can dive into the deep work, which may take three hours to get into deep work, can we truly tap into our potential to become the best versions of us? I found over time doing stuff like social media, Slack notifications, email notifications, it actually caused me more stress and gave me more issues of mental health than when I could just be by my own with a pad of paper or a Google Doc with no Wi-Fi and I could just do me. So that's one little thing that I do that's really helped quite a bit by uh, to have awareness to what I'm doing so I can actually eliminate the things that actually do not serve me anymore. Absolutely. And yes, to eliminate things that no longer serve you, because oftentimes our mind is cluttered with things that we're trying to focus on that aren't going to allow us to be the best version of ourselves or even take us to the next level. So even me in this, I guess, new season of growth, we always say spring cleaning, spring cleaning. (laughs) You know, sometimes you have to do a mental spring cleaning and say like, hey, like, Maybe I need to organize my space. What are things that I'm doing in my day-to-day that are holding me up? How can I get more time back in my day for me? And sometimes you got to do a little mental spring cleaning. And speaking of spring cleaning, topic number three, how to approach your team in a supportive role regarding mental health. Now, we've already been touching on this, so I'm going to spin this and actually take a question from the audience. And they want to know, and we'll start with Lindsay, How is the panel creating that environment in the workplace to feel authentic and discuss mental health? They said they feel like we already answered this, but I thought this was a great way to bring in how to approach your team in a supportive role regarding mental health. Lindsay? How to approach your team regarding mental health? Yes, how to approach your team in a supportive role regarding mental health. And then the question from the audience was, how do you create an authentic discussion around mental health? From my experience, it's about, for me personally, it's about me sharing my story first and foremost, and making sure that they know that they can come to me if they have any questions around the topic of mental health and knowing that they know that they have resources to go to. So making sure that they know that there's an EAP program, they know that they can take their PTO when they want to, um, that they, that they can be vulnerable that like we talked about before, they're not just a number. They don't just have a quota. They are human first. That that is the most important thing and that it's a supportive environment first and foremost. That's how I break down that for the team. Um, I think that that's the most important thing to do for a sales environment, for any environment, not just sales. Absolutely. And it kind of goes back into Naraj's opening statement. I feel like Naraj's statement of leading from the heart is like our overarching, like happy dance for this topic, because 
if you don't leave from the heart, then you're not being authentic. And when you're not authentic, people don't trust you. And when people don't trust you, they will not open up to you. And it's a chain reaction. So whenever you allow yourself to be vulnerable and understand and tap into that, you're really opening space for your sales teams to do the same. So your approach is, of course, leading with vulnerability. Naraj, you said it was leading from the heart. Can you expound even more on that in regards to the topic and the questions from the audience? Um, I'm going to answer that, but I hadn't planned to answer it by saying leading from the heart, but I'll try and incorporate that into it. <laughs> so whenever you work in sales, people often give you what's called a sales playbook, which are here are the rules of the organization. Here's how we do sales. The problem with this is if you tell people what to do, sometimes they listen, a lot of the time they don't. But when you get people involved in the process, they are more likely to take action. The exact same rules apply to creating a great mental health discussion. You don't just say to people, we're going to do this, we're going to do this. We're going to say, okay, what do, you, what do we think we can do as a team? And you listen to their answers and you get feedback from everybody and you hear what they have to say. And that I have found in teams that I've had to come into because people bring me into teams for a whole variety of reasons. It's not just sales training. It can cover mindset. But a lot of the time, when teams are struggling, I had to work with a call center for the first time in the north of England this year. Never worked with a call center before. And many of these salespeople were between 19 to 24 years old. And they had to make 100 phone calls per day. And they got 30 minutes for lunch, which I thought was disgraceful. But I couldn't change that. I tried and I couldn't. So all of a sudden, I'm having to deal with young people doing a job, which I don't even think I could do <laughs> as a man with so much experience. I couldn't make 100 phone calls a day and have half an hour break. So we have to create a mental health playbook. And once we did that and the team got involved in terms of what is acceptable, all of a sudden the team performance started to improve. So please get your team involved in discussions with this. That's the first thing. And the second thing is talking about experiences you've had as a leader, help your team open up as well. So I'm a big, big fan of rock music. I'm obsessed with rock music. And last week, uh, James Hurstfield, lead singer of Metallica, stopped a concert. He's one of the baddest asses in rock music. You know, hard drinker, hard smoker, you know, really, really coarse voice. Amazing. And he stopped his concert to say, I'm really struggling with mental health. Sometimes I'm so insecure. And it was a very emotional moment. And the whole band came forward, gave him a whole big hug. And the whole audience cheered because he was being real. This is what happens when you express yourself to your team. It's, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to say, some days I'm not going to be okay. Your team are not going to think you're weak. They're going to think you're human and you're real. And that is leading from the heart. The other part of leading from the heart is the obvious part, which is taking great care of people. And the last thing I wanted to say is, you know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And the better care you take of your team, in majority of cases, they'll perform better. There's always going to be a few who will take advantage, but majority of cases, you look after people and their well-being, they will really do well in the workplace for you and themselves and the business. Hey, Joanne, a um, couple things. I love exactly what Naraj was talking about here. Um, and I think you know one of the things, in addition to all this as well, to, to expound, expound upon it is, you know, all these things we've discussed so far, it's like you, you're like doing these deposits that add up. Um, one of the things that, that can be just so wildly profound is, you know, when you're not in a one-on-one, but maybe you're 
you know, you're just calling them to check in, or maybe if you're in a physical environment together, you're getting lunch together and just simply asking them, Hey, how are you really doing? And just stop talking. And it's wild the stuff that they'll tell you. Sometimes they'll be like, oh, yeah, things are good. Like, tell me more. What do you mean? Mm-hmm. And when you give them that environment and you create the environment and you open them up that way, it's amazing what they'll start telling you about their personal lives, what they're struggling with, their fears. And if they're still a little bit on edge, not, not sure. It's okay to ask them questions. Like if this is one question I would ask, it all it always throw them off. If they, they were kind of be a little resistant, I'll just ask them, "Are you happy?" And I just stop talking. <clears throat> it's amazing what they'll tell you. Like, oh, I, I, I think. Well, what, what do you mean? You tell me. I'm here to support you. Are you happy? And they'll tell you things, whether it's their personal lives or maybe your leadership style that's not good, and that's okay. But now you create this really tight feedback loop, but you're creating this environment that hopefully over time, if they're not open right now, they'll eventually just tell you what's really on their mind. And those are just two really, really simple questions you kind of insert in as part of just engaging your team to open them up because the more open they are, the better it's going to be. Go ahead. One thing I was going to chime in on that. I love that, Marcus. And one thing that um, I've utilized in my one-on-ones after reading a book called The Trillion Dollar Coach in 2020 is one-on-ones and staff meetings will make or break your team. And I completely revamped my one-on-ones in 2020. And one of the things I revamped my one-on-ones with was how I did them. And I discovered a platform called Work Patterns in 2020. And what it does is it allows you to write your questions in a platform um, with work patterns. And just by typing your questions in your one-on-ones and having them type your, their answers, you find out so much more when you ask the question, how are you doing? Or are you happy? Or questions to Marcus's point, you find out so much more about your employees when they type their answers than if you just ask the question, how are you doing today? So um, just an idea. And also for the Zoom on the go, you don't have to even Zoom. You can just call their phone, old school. And you find out so much more just by calling them on the phone than just by Zooming. So, um, but just, you know, work patterns, um, just having them type their answers, you find out so much more than if you ask the question. And one thing I learned from working with Uncrushed for so many years is ask them, how are they doing twice? The second time, you usually find out more. I was going to say, that's one of my tips too, is the double, how are you? Like, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you're like, how are you? And our quick, our first thing we say is, I'm good. I'm doing great. Can't complain. How are you? It's such a natural thing for me to say. And then someone, then they're like, no, Joe. And then they look you dead in your eye and they're like, how are you? Like, how are you as a person? And once you do that, then that's when you see people usually have a sigh and they're like, girl, I can't even begin to tell you where things are going. And that's kind of what you want to create is a space of, of, of understanding and a space of vulnerability and, and creating that safe space, much like we're doing here for people to want to ask questions and, uh, and find out more. And my next question is, what do you, how do you take criticism? 
as a sales leader? And how do you not allow, and how do you receive it, but not allow it to reflect onto you as a leader? Anybody? Yeah, this is my least favorite part, probably. <laughs> 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 the part that I'm worst at. <laughs> but yeah, I think I'll just, I'll be short and sweet here because I think the other panelists also have so many, you know, gems to add. But my experience has been when someone gives you some feedback, I, I like to think of everyone as mirrors. So this is probably a deeper conversation than we have time for today, but I think of my clients as mirrors. I think of my team as mirrors. I think of my husband as a mirror. And so if someone says something to me, like if someone came and told me, you know, Elise, you've got green hair, I'd be like, okay, that's cool that you think that, but I'm not going to be emotionally triggered because it's not actually true for me. But if they came and they said something that does elicit an emotional response in me, what I know, that's my cue that there's some element of truth in that for me that I get to work on working on in myself. And so I think it's just that self-awareness um, to know, like sometimes people will give you feedback that you're like, okay, that doesn't really feel true. It doesn't, you don't get much of an emotional reaction from it. That's sometimes it's, it's like, it's not the most valuable feedback. The most valuable feedback is probably the feedback that makes you angry, makes you sad, triggers something in you. Cause that's the part of you that you get to grow for your next up level as a leader. So that's, that's how I tend to view it. And it sometimes requires going off and breathing for a while on a walk and coming back to the conversation later. But that's just a little tool that I use. I think that um, there's a, there's a couple thoughts. So one, I learned this, um, you know, I think we all know about body language, right? And so when our arms are crossed, we're disconnected. Um, if we're, you know, um, if we put our hands on the table like this, where they're flat down, one of the things I was taught uh, by, by my therapist was take your hands and put them under the desk and just gently push up. And it actually opens your chest and it lets you be willing to be vulnerable. So that's the first thing is like, okay, if I'm going to try and be vulnerable, let me be vulnerable myself and try something like that. The other thing, and I think this is easy in sales is that I've encouraged a lot of sales leaders to actually get on cold calls and sales calls and record them and send it to their team and say, hey, you guys coach me, right? Because it is a place where, A, we probably are fairly confident about what we do, I hope. Um, but we're leading with vulnerability. The statistics show that when you lead with vulnerability, your team will perform better because they know they can be vulnerable when, when there's time. Um, so going in and sort of saying, let me be vulnerable in a slightly different way, you know, maybe you're not there yet to go share a story like Marcus has shared or Lindsay or I or, or Elise or, or Naraj. Like we've all had our stories and we're all at that space where we're very comfortable sharing right we you know for us it became a, a superpower to a certain extent you don't have to be there so be vulnerable differently open yourself up to some feedback so maybe you try and do a cold call have a coach maybe you do some research on you know management 360s and some questions you should ask your team and ask them to give you some feedback based on these two or three questions like you know do that turn your one-on-one -on -one around i don't i don't know like say hey you're going to one-on-one -on -one me today. Here are two things I think I should get better at. I should be better with my patients. I should be better with this. I want you to come in and give me some feedback. And so those are ways that you can do it that maybe aren't too deep and personal for you, 
um, and allow you to sort of be vulnerable with your team. And, you know, it's a step. So those, those are just some ideas you could try to, to open yourself up with. Absolutely, Richard. And I like that you said, like, sometimes you have to flip the mirror and say, hey, guys, tell me, how am I doing? Am I doing okay? I know that oftentimes we and you even will be on calls and you're like, Joanne, tell me, am I giving, am I giving you the tools you need? Like, let me know. And it's always good when you work with people to, to allow them to critique you as well, because oftentimes as a leader, it's, it seems like it's a lot of this going on and not a lot of this. So we want to, you know, bring in back that two-way communication, especially from a top-down perspective, because people have always been taught, my boss, my boss, my boss, and they have a fear of going to their boss. But when saying that we work together and that we're a team, just the change in the context of how you describe the people you work with can shift the dynamic of how they communicate with you and each other. So, so Joanne, I was going to add a couple of things. So, um, you know, early on, I had a mentor tell me, said, Marcus, you have zero self-awareness. I said, oh, awesome, great. <laughs> uh, he's like, I'm like, like, but I think I'm perfect. He's like, no, you're not. You have a lot of flaws. I'm like, okay, got it. Um, but And what he told me was, he's like, you have to build it into your cadence, if you will, to constantly seek feedback from your team. You have to train them that it's okay to get feedback. So one of the things I've done, I still do even to this day with my team from my company is every single, every single quarter, I have just like a tickler in my Google tasks to pop up. That's like, all right, cool. Like ask for feedback. And, and so I know now, cool. I'm like, you know, I'm going to set up time with, with my team just to each person. And it's really, I literally ask some questions like, like how, how am I doing for you? What can I get better for you? What do you want to see more of? What do you want to see less of? What does the team need? How best can I support you? What are two or three things that I do that drive you absolutely insane and crazy? Now, I'll tell you right now, the, I just, just threw out a bunch right there. I didn't start like that, okay? And you might be like, oh, that's really intimidating because you may not like the answers. And you might have to ask them multiple times, like the, the, the cold call double tap. But your goal here is to create the environment so they can just share with you. And over time, it's, it's added up to more and more questions that I felt would better serve myself to make myself better, be more aware. But it's evolved over time. And the key on top of that is whatever they tell you, don't try to justify it. Because <laughs> that was my mistake early on. They would say, oh, Marcus, I really don't like that you do X. I'm like, whoa, 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 this is, this is why I do it. I'll try to justify it. I've learned over time through other feedback. I say, oh, thank you so much for telling me. Can you tell me a little more? And I'll just tell them, tell me more, more, more. And that was wildly powerful because it created a deeper bond between me and them. And sometimes based on what they tell me, it's not something we can really change. It just doesn't make sense. But at the very least, they felt heard. I got to see their perspective and it created a more open environment where they could joke with me and just be themselves. And that's all I really wanted. And the feedback was just a bonus. And then over time, I've, I even evolved to the point where as the team got bigger, I would, I would do all that as well. Uh, but I would have set time, I'll call every single rep in my org. I had over 100 plus employees. So I would call every single one, like literally full, I'll call every single one and just call them out of the blue and just ask how, how, how they are doing and what I can do better for them. That's all I did. And it was amazing the feedback that would tell me that made our organization better. 
But on top of that, I started implementing other things such as, you know, like 360 feedback surveys, completely anonymous, you know, similar things, I have like rating scales, but ultimately my goal was to get as much feedback as possible. And if you get like one or two weird things like, you know, Marcus, I hate your bald head. Well, okay, well, <laughs> sorry, nature, you know, so, but if I saw really consistent things, I'm like, oh man, like I had no idea I have this major shortcoming. Okay. I, I, I'm going to have to ask now. If I didn't know the solution, I could just ask them, hey, hey everyone, you guys don't like that I do this. Thank you so much. What are some ideas I could do to improve this? And they would tell me. I didn't need to have all the answers. I just need to be surrounded by people who were open to help me find the right answers. But when you create that, it, when you create that environment where you have a very tight feedback loop, you yourself become a better human being, not just for work, but really for life. Absolutely. And again, to reiterate what you said, no one likes the person that receives feedback and it's like, yeah, thank you for that. But let's talk about what you did, though, to make me feel that way. Don't be that person in your personal life, your work life. No one likes that person. Take criticism, digest it. It's okay to ask questions on how could I have done that differently? What could I have done differently next time? Some key takeaways, but please don't be the reverse finger pointer because, yeah. So <laughs> we have eight minutes left in this call. If you guys want to drop any of your best practices around mental health tips for mental health resources, please drop that in the chat. We want to hear from you. But I want to go around the group with the last few moments that we have for each influencer. Again, reintroduce yourself again for those who may have hopped on late and just drop off one tidbit of advice you have for everyone, whether they're a sales leader or everyday person, drop your best tidbit on mental health so we so we wrap up this call on a positive note. Well, I wanted to add a very, very final point to that question about taking criticism. Uh, my daughter's just graduated from university. She has started her an internship and now it's a full-time job. And her colleagues remarked about how incredibly good she was at doing her job. Her emotional intelligence was incredible. And that made me feel very proud, of course but it's because she's an introvert. And um, the reason I'm bringing that up is she reacts differently to criticism to most people because she's an introvert. So when you get criticized as a leader, it's great to welcome criticism, of course, but you don't have to react to it immediately. You can just listen to it, take it on board, think about it, reflect on it, and come back to people later. You don't have to answer every single time. And that's a very useful tip, just based on that comment about taking criticism there. And it's very important to take your ego out of the equation as well. I can say that because I recently read a book called Ego is the Enemy. So <laughs> that's kind of my mind. Um, but in terms of a, a sales tip um, to, to kind of finalize things, I, I'm Niraj, I'm a LinkedIn top voice uh, and a mindset coach and a sales trainer. And my tip for you is, if you've listened to this and you found it useful, please write down what you're going to do as a result. What are your top three takeaways from this talk? And then take action. Because watching this and going, that was really helpful, is not going to help you. But taking notes and taking action is going to help you massively. And I would strongly urge you to think, what am I going to do to take care of myself? That's the most important. It's not selfish. It's very important. And then what can I do to serve others? Thank you. Thank you, Naraj. And let's hear final thoughts from She Sales, Queen of She Sales, Elise. <laughs> 
There we go. I want to unmute. <laughs> I was just saying, what a great conversation. I've learned so much from everyone sharing too. So thank you for that. Um, so just in summary, I'm Elise Archer. I'm the founder and CEO of She Sells. I'm the host of She Sells Radio. And I think just continuing the conversation about filling your cup to overflowing, I would leave this webinar with a list of what do I need right now? Really looking at where are the gaps in my own life? Is it my health? Is it my, my physical health, my mental health, my emotional health? Like, how am I doing? And what would it look like, especially in the morning before you dive into your emails? I know it's easy to do, but truly to be intentional about setting time out in the morning to fill your cup to overflowing first and what changes need to be made so you can do that because from there you can lead and serve and give so much more powerfully. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's kick it over back to Marcus Chan for his final five. All right, cool. First off, amazing conversation. Learned so much from all the panelists, from the comments. Thanks for all those who attended live. Thanks for those who are watching later. So I'm Marcus Chan, founder of Bentley Consulting Group. We help B2B sales pros earn additional $50,000 to $100,000 more every single year. So one really, really simple tip um, I've learned over time. <clears throat> Uh, if we're not careful, we become brainwashed by everything outside of us, right? We, we trick ourselves, we fool ourselves thinking we're not worthy, we're not good enough, we're always comparing ourselves. So one of the simplest tips you can actually do is you brainwash yourself with the right things. Because if you can tell yourself a story, at least tell, your one, tell yourself a story that's going to serve you better. And one really, really simple way to do that is simply having a daily win journal, meaning every single day, it could be on Google Doc. Just write down one win that you had. This could be any type of progress. It does not matter. It could be as simple as I woke up today. I said I was going to not hit my snooze and I did it. It could be anything. You, you put it down every single day. And then what you do as you encounter throughout the days, the weeks, when you have other wins, things that make you feel good. This could be a Slack shout out. It could be recognition from someone else. It could be really anything. You screenshot it and you throw it in your win journal. And you have that as a bank of these wins. And over time, if you do it for even for a few weeks and you have a rough day where you're second guessing yourself, you're wanting to quit sales, you want to quit whatever, you want to give up on everything, you pull that wind journal out and you read every single line side, you look at every single screenshot and you brainwash yourself back into the right things that truly serve you. Because ultimately, when we're in the dark depths of our mind, we forget how truly great we are. But the truth is, we're all absolutely fantastic people, but we just forget in the dark moments. So you need a wind journal, something like that, or even a folder that can remind you of how great you truly are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Maintain that wind journal and keep your focus and eye on the prize at all times. We're going to kick it over to Lindsay Namaste Boggs with the best. <laughs> Namaste. Uh, <laughs> Lindsay Boggs, Global Director of Sales Development at Quantum Metric. Um, learned so much from everybody here today. Thank you so much for joining. And my biggest takeaway and biggest um, tip I would leave for you is practice being kind to yourself. Don't let a big travesty or big tragedy get yourself to start taking care of yourself. Practice it now. Don't wait for a burnout. Don't wait for something horrible to happen to you. Start with small things right now. Maybe it's meditating. Maybe it's taking that 15 minute walk around the block. Maybe it's eating lunch. Imagine that blocking off your calendar and actually eating lunch. And I know I say that I'm going to do things, but I'm actually going to start doing what I'm practicing, what I'm preaching. So 
starting with what you're going to say you're going to do. So that's what I'll leave you with today. Thank you so much, Lindsay. And last but certainly not least, my partner in crime, Richard. Richard Harris, let him know. Thank you. Um, please, I put way back in the chat um, all of our LinkedIn connections. So if you'd like to connect with us, we'd appreciate it. Um, we certainly want to connect with you. Um, I actually, I'm not going to give out any more advice. I'm going to ask for a request. I'm hoping that the deposits that we've made um, have been helpful and supportive. And I posted in the chat the 2022 survey. Uh, I've also posted in the chat last year's report for 2021. If you would be so kind as to fill it out, it's 100% anonymous. We'd greatly appreciate it. Feel free to share with your team if you're comfortable doing that or share with other friends because um, we really just want to make sure we have quality data for everybody. So uh, if you need to get a hold of me, you can find me on LinkedIn um, and I'll be the crazy one. My phone number is 415-596-9149, 415-596-9149. It's my real number. I'll gladly talk to anybody whoever feels like they just need someone to talk to. Absolutely. That was just as great as a double. How are you, Richard? So we appreciate you for that one. So thank you guys so much for tuning in to how to support mental health with your sales team leaders. And we look forward to catching you at our next masterclass next month, where we talk about diversity in sales with our next set of sales influencers. So more to come on that. Thank you all. And I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. Bye, everybody. Bye. Great session, everybody. Well done.